I think the best way to capture a story is to know the story you're sharing and to know the story to tell. When I think of story, I think of a person's journey. So I think to understand that and to recognize that, to know the best way to show it to the outside world, to put in somebody's life into a viewable term. A good story can make you feel a certain way or inform you about something. It, it seeks to deliver a reason, a meaning, a message. A story is something that you can relate to. It has dynamic and it has change. It can start off one way and change a different way. And that's the value of getting to watch someone as they go, go through their story. The Fellowship Story Team is super helpful. They're, they're fun to get to know and the experiences and stuff you'll pick up on will last throughout your time. I think someone should join if they have a passion like me for whether it be photography or graphic design or video. It's also a good idea to join just to meet new people and uh, make new friends. What makes the Story Team experience unique is the fact that you are getting to serve in a way that allows you to grow a skill while also allowing you to grow in a community of people who are in the same work as you. I think it's a really cool place to serve because not only are you growing in a technical skill that you can serve with your church, but you can also serve your community with or grow professionally in. I've always wanted to pursue like a video career. I think that sharing stories like what we're doing here is very powerful and I learned that we could do that through a God-honoring way with our church and I was like that sounds awesome so I got the opportunity to hang out with Kyle and Will for a bit one day on a one shoot and I just really liked it. It was a good time. Usually at uh, Fellowship Story, we have a certain thing that we do, whether it be like taking pictures, storyboarding, taking a video, editing, graphic design. Just week by week, we have a certain theme that we participate and undertake. The Story team has been a very important opportunity for our son, Rhett. So he's always had a passion for this, and I think this allows Rhett to take his passion and help fellowship. Um, tell the story to different parts of the church ministry and now get an exposure to different uh, techniques and things like that that can spread his influence across uh, fellowship. I would recommend this team to somebody because it's a place where you can learn a skill but also have a community of people around you. Um, especially if you have any interest in it at all to just come through the door one day and just See what it's like, get yourself involved, see if it's something that you're interested in. Something I really love is the mission and vision of the Fellowship Student Story Team Ministry is its idea to want to continue to produce and release leaders. Producing in the sense of training, equipping, you don't have to know anything before you walk through the door. Um, and just equipping you and training you in the way that you can learn so that you can pour into others who are younger than you or who may not know as much and be able to take what you learn and also pour it into others while also being poured into to growing and creating this cycle of produce and release wherever you are. Actually, every student that's a part of the story team produced that video. So they filmed it, they edited it, they actually made it. And I, I think that's really cool for this reason. Go with me here for a second. Here at Fellowship, we actually have students, seventh through 12th grade, that are using their passions, their interests, their talents, their giftings to uplift the body as they tell stories of the way that Jesus is working and to glorify God. 
Where, where else are you going to find that? That you have high schoolers wanting to use their giftings to glorify God. And if I can be really honest, I think we would be pretty well suited to follow the student's lead on this one. That we would actually be people who seek our giftings so that we can use it to glorify God and uplift the body. That we would find our interests and use them to develop those around us. Hey parents, if you have kids who are interested in the story team, if they're interested in media, check it out. It's an unbelievable opportunity. And there's a lot of things going on around here right now. In fact, next week is a busy week, so fellowship, buckle up. Next week is our promotion Sunday. It's our fall kickoff Sunday. And let me try and explain what that means to you in maybe 10 seconds. If it doesn't make sense, where can you find the information? Online. But next week, what's gonna happen, for those of you who have students, we are gonna consider your child one grade older. So if you have a daughter who's in kindergarten this fall, she'll be in first grade. Well, next week, August 14th, your daughter will be in the first grade class here at Fellowship. If you have a son who's in sixth grade going into seventh grade this fall, next week, your son is in FSM. He's in the student ministries with us. We will see him as a seventh grader. Promotion Sunday is kind of like a birthday for your kids. You just don't have to buy presents. They don't get any older. So, hey, speaking of, of birthdays getting older or maybe even getting younger, there's a legacy gathering next week. And so legacy gathering is happening at 1030 in the family center. We would love for you to join us. And let me just say this. For all of you who make up the legacy gathering, we cherish you here at Fellowship. You are vital to the health of this body. Your wisdom, your experience, all that you offer is needed and wanted here. So thank you for being a part of fellowship. And not only is that gathering happening next week, there's also a church-wide picnic. So I don't want you to think FSM for a second. I don't want you to think families. I want you to think church body. At 1130 next week on the West Field, bring a lawn chair, bring some sunscreen, bring some food, your friends, your family, we just want to enjoy a time together as a church. Our high schoolers have been doing a kickball tournament each Sunday this summer, and Josh Lawson from Rogers, an adult community group, has actually challenged them. So we'll play our championship game. Come laugh with us, uh, laugh at and with Josh and his community group. Let's see if he can beat those high schoolers. But we just want a, a Sunday evening or Sunday afternoon where we can be together. Hey, the last thing I'll tell you about is fall retreat is coming up. That's September 3rd through the 5th at New Life Ranch. This is for our 11th and 12th graders. And it's an unbelievable weekend that we don't take lightheartedly. It's a weekend that we expectantly pray for the Lord to capture the hearts of so many high schoolers. If you have a student who needs to be there, signups are open now. Or maybe your son or daughter knows somebody, has a friend who would really benefit from being at a weekend that is focused on learning how to become a disciple of Jesus. Sign them up. Let me know. We, we want to help. And so, Fellowship, right now, would you stand for a second? And as we stand here, I want you to look around. And as you look around and see the people to your right or left, remember, all these people are here because we're faithful followers of Jesus. You actually believe in the resurrected King, the risen Savior. And so, as you believe that this morning, would you reflect it? Would you demonstrate it with your voice as we sing to Jesus? Would you worship with us this morning, Fellowship? Sing to him. When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. 
celebrate that together this morning. You may be seated. Such a good truth to sing. The battle belongs to Him, and what can we do through the dark night of the soul? We can sing, lift up our prayer to Him. Well, today, no matter where you're at, whether you're in the valley or in the mountaintop, we come here to fix our eyes on Christ today. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Pat, and I haven't been up for a while, and it's not because I am leaving staff or anything. Um, I have been on sabbatical, and so I'm really grateful to be at a church that values rest, that values Sabbath. And so I've been out for three weeks, and this is my first week back and I'm excited to be here. I have missed y'all. I've missed this. And I wanted to share with you a few things this morning that the Lord has been teaching me. And what's funny sometimes is um, you can have life verses or moments uh, that you carry with you for a while. And they can come back up years later and God can kind of show you some new meaning. And so I want us to look at Psalm 51. This is a psalm that means a lot to me. I remember during my college days reflecting on this. David writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. On sabbatical, I was reading this passage and I was reminded that even though I've been saved by grace, I still struggle with temptation, with sin. And I I resonate with David. My sin is ever before me. But David also wrote Psalm 16. And I want us to look at verse 8 from that. He says, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand I shall not be shaken. God taught me that my sin is there, but He reminded me to constantly repent and confess and place the Lord before me and fix my eyes on Him, placing my dependence in Him. So this morning, I want to share this quote from Eugene Peterson. Sin is life-pursuing Let that sink in for a bit. As you struggle with sin, what is sin really? Life-pursuing death. At the center, sin is the rejection of the presence of God in our lives. God is the source of life, and if we reject that life, we've cut off our source. We diminish our joy like a river whose source has dried up. So where does our joy come from? As we continue to worship through song, would you reflect on the final verse of Psalm 16 and prepare to sing with us. We see you, my Lord, I have no good beside you, God. I have no need 
Apart from you, Jesus, my everlasting home. So we set the Lord before us today. And I will set you ever before me, Lord. Reminding my soul that you are the prize. Beholding your glory leads me to worship so this morning we see to remind your own soul of your need for Christ as your Savior. Maybe lift up a prayer, a specific situation you're going through. 
and you need him to be your defense. You need him to be your righteousness today. And as we continue to sing, let's remind our own souls of his goodness today.
tell our worship team thank you. Isn't it good to have this guy back? It's so good, yes. We are glad to have you back, Pat. You're rocking this morning. I like that. Hey, good morning, fellowship. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. I actually had the privilege to serve as one of your community pastors. And for adults at Fellowship, our ministry is called community ministry. We hope, our hope and desire is that everyone that makes Fellowship your church so that you're here, you would also be in a small group. And that's called community ministry. And you'll be hearing more about that in the weeks to come as we finish our series today in John and we launch into our church series the next few weeks. And then we're headed to Ephesians this fall. We'll have another uh, study guide, and so it's going to be really exciting this fall. Hey, one of the unique things about me, like some of you, is I grew up here in northwest Arkansas. I'm a Rogers native. I actually grew up out east of Rogers on Highway 12. It's where you head if you're going to the lake, and and I just have all these vivid memories, probably like you do of your hometown, just growing up around here. I share some of them with my kids, They're not that interested, but I share them anyway. But you know, some of the memories I have is I remember my mom having a store in downtown Rogers and right across the street was the Harris Baking Company and and smelling that fresh baked bread. And it was so, just every time I smell fresh baked bread, I think of the days in downtown Rogers or my family was real involved in civic things. And so I was always having to go serve and help setting up for pancake breakfasts, which had its benefits. And, And I'd go put out the flags. I remember with the Lions Club with my dad, but one of the most vivid memories I have is my dad waking me up um, on a Saturday morning. I was a young teenager and he took me with him um, like he did several times. And I don't know if he's trying to teach me a lesson or just needed extra hands, but we went and did the Highway 12 cleanup. So we went and picked up trash on a, on a certain area of Highway 12. Matter of fact, I remember that exact area. Every time I drive past there, it's just past the bridge, I remember picking up trash out there. And it was, it was so impactful for me because, uh, you know, you're, you're picking up other people's trash. <clears throat> and as a teenager, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, it impacted me. It, it changed me. Matter of fact, so much so that a few years later, when I'm a teenager cruising around with my friends and somebody starts to throw something out. What do you think I did? Man, somebody's got to pick that up. Don't do that. And I share that with you, because, not because Jesus is going to talk about littering today, which he doesn't, but because that's exactly where we are in John chapter 21, is Jesus is going to teach us, he's going to, John's going to talk about, he's going to bring in all these different memories of the disciples. 
It's one of the most creative teaching things I've ever seen. He uses symbolism over and over. And he's going to remind them of who they are. He's going to remind them of, of what he, who he is and what he's done. And I think, you'll be, I think you'll enjoy it as we study. Today is our last chapter in our study of the book of John. Can you believe it? 21 weeks, 21 chapters. So we're in chapter 21. But we took it a little bit different. If you'll remember, we studied the I am statements of John or uh, Jesus, recorded in the book of John. Then we studied the uh, miracles of Jesus, as recorded in the book of John. And in the last seven weeks, we've looked at these encounters with Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at Peter's encounter with Jesus. And I think it will be very helpful for us as we navigate our days, our weeks to come. Here's what we're going to learn, I think. That the follower of Jesus is founded in their love for Jesus is forged by their sacrifice for Jesus and lives a life free to forgive both self and others. That this idea of what does it mean to be a committed follower of Jesus, well, Jesus is gonna show us this and his illustration is going to be Peter. Join with me if you would, John chapter 21, verse one. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way, Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So he uses this word afterward. It basically means an indefinite period of time. We do know that the disciples have moved from, from Jerusalem, and now they're in the Galilee area. We don't know exactly why. It could be that, you know, Peter's always kind of leading the way. He was a fisherman. You know, things have been kind of shaky for him. If you look at John chapter 18, it's where he denied Jesus three times. So he's probably not feeling like a great leader of the disciples. Or um, in, in Matthew 28 or 26, one of the two, an angel of the Lord says to, says to the disciples that Jesus would meet them in Galilee. So maybe that's why they're there. But anyway, they're, they're hanging out by the lake in Galilee and then we pick up the story in verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So a fisherman, what does he do when he's hanging out by a body of water and he doesn't have much to do? He fishes. And sometimes when fishermen fish, what happens? They don't catch anything, right? Right? Well, we see here, that's exactly what they're, we got a group of board fishermen and uh, they're waiting for Jesus. And so they go fishing. Look at verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said to them, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it starts to bring up ideas. I feel like I've read this story before. It feels like Jesus has, has done this before, doesn't it? And that's what's going to happen over and over for us. Matter of fact, you see Jesus standing on the shore. So the disciples were fishing all night. The reason they fished at night was so they would have their catch to sell at the market in the morning. But they didn't have anything to sell, did they? So they're making their way back in. And this, this person standing on the shore that we know is Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus yet. And uh, 
And then there's a couple really familiar things there. First, Jesus, we see Jesus stand on the shore, and it reminds you of an, a, another time he's standing on the shore. And then you see Jesus say, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And then they do it, they catch this large number of fish. Now, what's interesting is how many times in Scripture do you see Jesus fishing? But yet he's always giving fishing advice, isn't he? He's always good. But is he ever wrong? I mean, they always have like the catch of their life. So the moral for you fishermen is always take Jesus fishing with you, right? Maybe, maybe not. Let's look at the passage again. It says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. They caught such a large number of fish. And so what we're going to see is that, that reminds us of other stories in Scripture, doesn't it? There's actually another lake. Technically, it's the same lake. But if you look back in, in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus first called Peter, it's also on the shore of a lake. Look at this. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, what you need to know is it's actually not another lake. It's the same lake. It's the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, or the Lake of Gennesaret. They're all called different names for the same body of water. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias because the, the city of Tiberias is on the Sea of Galilee. If you ever go to Israel with us, then you will end up staying in, in, the, in, in Tiberias or right around there, and you'll spend a, a day on the Sea of Galilee. But it's also called the Lake of Gennesaret because of the, the way it's shaped like a harp, and, and, uh, and it's called the Sea of Galilee. But the, so this will be a reminder to the disciples that Jesus has been on the shore with them before. It says the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats there, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one, the one belonging to Simon, who we now know as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So same shoreline, different story, but this was when he called Peter to be a disciple. You think he's sending a message? Look at, continue on there in Luke. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who we now know as Peter, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Sounds similar, doesn't it? Simon answered, master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that the nets began to break. The non-fishermen's giving fishermen advice, and they continue to catch fish. What's really interesting in our, in our John passage is, is Jesus is saying, hey, you're fishing on the, the, this side of the boat. Why don't you try fishing on this side of the boat? You know how wide that boat probably is? Eight feet, maybe, maybe seven feet. How can there be that many fish? And scripture says 153 on this side and nothing on that side. It might be a miracle, huh? Always take Jesus fishing with you. Look at verse seven. Jesus over and over is reminding them of who he is and what he's capable of. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. So John was the first to recognize him. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire 
of burning coals there with the fish on it and some bread. So Jesus continues to teach them lessons through incredible symbolism, through memories. Hey, he's on the shore. There's this incredible miracle catch of fish. And now they're coming, now they realize it's Jesus. And in typical style, John is typically the one that notices what's going on. And what does Peter do? Peter's always the first one to react, isn't he? He's kind of the ready, fire, aim guy, isn't he? And the picture I, I see here of him jumping off the boat is, do you remember Forrest Gump when Forrest sees Lieutenant Dan? And he, he gets all excited and he just jumps off his boat and his boat keeps going. That's kind of how Peter is. He's a ready, fire, aim guy. And, and I always wonder too, is what did Peter do when he got to Jesus? Because you think about this, what, what was the, his kind of last um, big interaction with Jesus? Yeah, he had denied him three times. Did he hug Jesus? Give him a big sloppy wet hug? Did he, did he fall at his feet? What happened? We see another lake. We see another fire. Or we see another catch. And we also see another fire. And now, if you look at um, the end of verse nine there, he says, a fire of burning coals. And this is one of the most instructive things there, and it's really interesting. So Jesus is standing on the shore around a fire. And we're gonna see in just in a moment, the last time Peter was with him at a fire was when he denied him. But John drives this point home because the, the, the words here, the fire of burning coals is only used one other place in the New Testament, the Greek word. And it's in, it's in John chapter 18, and it's when Peter denied Jesus. It's some specific kind of fire. They, they illustrate it here as a fire of burning coals or a coal fire. And there's only one other place in the New Testament. We're going to look at it. Look with me, if you would, to John chapter 18, this other coal fire that people were gathered around. The servant girl says to Peter, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked. Peter, he replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and the officials stood around a fire. If you look at some of the other versions, they'll actually use the word coal fire. But it's that same Greek word. I can't even try to say it. But same Greek word, John 18, John 21. See, the apostle John's trying to drive home a point. That Jesus is trying to drive home a point. That the, God, the disciples are gathered on the shore bank. They've got a fire going, and it's the same kind of fire with the same Savior as when Peter denied Jesus. And if this was a play, the light would start to focus in, and it would focus in on Peter. Look at the second denial. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself, so they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. Then in the very next verse, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man who, whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, the rooster crowed. You see, this is the guy. This is the ready, fire, aim guy. This is the guy who told Jesus, hey, if everyone else deserts you, Jesus, I will never leave you. And Jesus says, oh, Peter. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. And that's exactly what happens. 
And it was around a fire that that happened, and it's around the same fire that we're going to see Jesus restore Peter. We're going to see Jesus reinstate Peter. It's really powerful. And he does it through these illustrations of a, on the shoreline, which is where he called him, through this miraculous catch that he'd, he had done before, through, through around this fire, the same type of fire that Peter denied him. And then we're also going to see there's a meal that takes place. Look with me, if you would. Actually, I want to ask you this. Have you ever been called on the carpet by Jesus? Have you ever had a fire pit moment like Peter's having with Jesus? Where you've been exposed in your sin. Maybe there's something going on. You kind of hit it. You thought you had it under control. You had it back here. And all of a sudden, it's just brought out here. You See, that's what's happening. Everybody knows what's going on, but Peter's probably not dealing with it. Or let me say it this way. What do you think Jesus would communicate to you right now if you had a fire pit moment? If you came upon that, that coal burning fire, what would he talk to you about? What would you feel convicted about? Is there a hurt in your life you just can't get over? Is there a failure you just continue to remind yourself of? You see, things like that will cause someone to, to stop following Jesus. Things like that will cause people to, to not do what the Lord's calling them to do. And what we're going to see here is Jesus is going to tell Peter that you're not defined by your failure. You're actually defined by Jesus. It's so true. For the follower of Christ, you're not defined by your, your latest mess up. You're actually defined by the blood of Christ. And it's a powerful thing. But here's the key. You've got to be willing to forgive yourself. Or you have to be willing to forgive whoever failed and hurt you. Now, you might have scars. You might have some ongoing stuff you need to deal with. And that's what Jesus is trying to get Peter to do here is to, to deal with his stuff, to deal with his failure. Well, back to the passage. Now the disciples have joined Jesus and Peter on the shore. They're all gathered around the fire and Jesus is gonna make them dinner. Now what's really interesting here is he didn't need their catch. He actually already had some fish and bread, it looks like, on the fire. It says, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And did the same with the fish. And now for a third time, now this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. It's actually interesting. It's not just the third time. It's like the seventh time he's appeared. But it's the third time he's appeared to this, this group of disciples. And it, and it appears that this is a group of about seven of the 12 disciples. But it's the third time he's appeared to them as a group. And the, and the scripture says that he took some bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Does that sound similar? Does it sound like something he's done before where he, he provided a miraculous meal where he just somehow made bread and fish appear? Yeah, we'll look at it. There's another meal back in John chapter 6. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed them to those who were seated. 
those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. You see, this was a miraculous lunch or dinner. This is a miraculous feeding. And what Jesus is doing by giving them fish and loaves and reminding them, they're smelling the fresh bread, they're smelling the grilled fish. They said, hey, we've been here before. Jesus is reminding them, hey, I'm the great provider. I've got this. What you all need to do, Peter in particular, is trust me. Follow me. And this miraculous feeding paves the way. In some ways, you could almost end the teaching there and say, hey, let's come back next week and study the rest of the passage. But we've got, we've got to plow through it this week. And I think this is where we're going to see our, our big statement play out. Our big statement's this. The follower of Jesus is founded in love for Jesus, is forged by sacrifice for Jesus, and is free to forgive self and others. And so in the next few verses, we're going to see this big idea play itself out. Look with me, if you would, at John 21, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's an interesting passage of scripture, isn't it? This interchange, Jesus keeps asking the same question over and over. You can see the spotlight begin to zoom in on Jesus. It's almost like the other disciples may have kind of started to walk away. It's like, Man, Peter's getting called on the carpet here. Jesus over and over is bringing this hurt back because he's going to force Peter to deal with it. Hey, the best way to illustrate this, I think, is a chart. And so in, the, in, the, in, in honor of Robert Cup, we're going to look at a chart this morning. But it explains it really well. And here's what I think you see by looking at this chart. One, Jesus calls Peter what? Simon. Simon was Peter's old name. Jesus gave him the new name. Peter means rock, but he's starting to call him by his old name. Why do you think that is? Because he's living like Simon. And so Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you agapow me? And it's interesting here because he says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I phileo you. Now, what's interesting, in the Greek language, there are many more letters for the Greek than there are for English. You've probably heard this before. So, for example, there are four Greek words for the word love that we are all translated to our one English word, love. And so it's interesting, and some scholars say this is not a big deal for, for this interchange here, but I think it's saying something. For Jesus to say, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? See, that's the God size, the, the, the God kind of unconditional love. And, and Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I brotherly love you. I friendship love you. Simon, son of John, do you agapao me? That's agape. That's the, the, the one we have here is the, the verb form, but that's the noun form would be agape. Yes, Lord, you know that I brotherly love you. Friendship love you. And then you see Jesus 
Change the word in verse 17. Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked a third time, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. See, I think there's got to be something to that. It's got to hurt. He does it three times. Then another important thing here is, is in, the very, in verse 15, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? So who are the these? Man, if you read about this, everybody's got their opinion who the these are. The these could be the fish. So maybe Peter loved fishing. The these could be kind of his home folk because he's back home, you know, and he, he wants to provide maybe for them. He had, he had a family to feed. He needed to, felt, probably felt like he needed to help out. He had left the fishing industry and started fishing for, for people. And it didn't feel like it was going very good at the time. But many theologians think that the these there are the disciples. And not that he loves the disciples more than Jesus, but Jesus is saying, Simon, or Simon, do you love me more than they do? And maybe he's, poking it even harder because you remember Simon Peter said hey Jesus everybody else may leave you but I never will I'll never forsake you and so Jesus is just is just putting it in there a little bit more because he knows Peter needs to deal with this if he's going to do the kind of ministry he's been called to do the rest of his life another important point just the fact that Peter was hurt by Jesus saying it three times or the, the response that Jesus gives him, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. Peter, Jesus is saying, Peter, if you truly love me, you need to do the work of the ministry, regardless of everything else, because you're not defined by your failure. And take care of my sheep. So here's what we're learning here. Jesus is reminding Peter as he is reinstating him that the foundation for following him is love. That everything we do in life as a follower of Christ should be, should be driven by love. And it's, it's hard because sometimes obligation, it feels more obligation than it does love. But it should be fueled by your love for Jesus. And if you're trying to figure out, do I really love Jesus? Do I know Jesus? We've, we're going to have Scott and Cindy Thompson in the prayer room. Or just grab one of us after the service. We'd love to just discuss that with you and pray with you. But as a follower of Christ, you're, you're, you should be founded by your love for Jesus, not your failure, not the hurt, but love. Look at verse 18. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. So Jesus here is comparing kind of two lives one is the life of a, a young child. And you've had a young child, you know, like you kind of get up and you dress yourself and you kind of do whatever you want to do. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you're not going to live that way. Some people will live that way. But a follower of Christ, this is how a follower of Christ lives. And he actually said, this is how you're going to live. That when you are old, you're, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He's talking about how Peter will die. He's talking about, that's crucif crucifixion language. The idea of stretching out your hands is being crucified on a cross. Jesus just told Peter that you're going to die the same death I died. Can you imagine that moment? How powerful that'd be? 
We know this from verse 19 where he says, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. But look what he said next. Then he said to him, follow me. I think those are the most powerful two words in the whole passage. Follow me. Because what Jesus is saying to Peter is, I know you feel like a failure. I, I know you did what you said you would never do. And you said, even if everybody else does it, you would never do it. And you did it. You failed. But that doesn't define you. Jesus is saying, I believe in you. I know you can do this. Matter of fact, I know it so much, I'm going to tell you how you're going to die. And a lot of people think that that probably kind of disappointed Peter. I actually think it emboldened him. He said, I'm going to finish my life running the race and following Jesus. I'm going to die serving the Lord. Not only is the follower of Jesus founded in love, they are also forged by their sacrifice for Jesus. Some guys on staff, we've been reading this book, and the, the author uses a lot of blacksmithing terms. It really, makes you really feel like a man. And, and, uh, <clears throat> but the word forged is, is, is a blacksmithing term, and in order to forge something, it takes heat, it takes hammering, and it takes hewing. And in order for something to be forged, it's going to cause, it's going to have stress. And what Jesus is saying is, Peter, you're going to experience stress and it's going to take sacrifice. And the follower of Christ is forged by their sacrifice for Jesus. There's a lot of things going on in the church today where, 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 where it seems there's being preached this kind of blessed, easy life of the Christian. And in some ways that's true, this blessed life. But there's also this sacrificial life that if you're truly going to follow Jesus, you are literally going to do without some things. Your time is going to be impeded on. Your, your finances are going to be impeded on. Your talent, your use of your gifts that God has given you are going to be impeded on. But the cool thing is it always comes back as blessing. That's the wonderful thing. One of the interesting things right now, or this week, I got an email, as all our staff did, from Mickey. And I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this, but, um, but he sent this email and he said, Hey guys, great job. Um, our attendance is way up. Like since we've launched Bentonville, attendance is way up. We got more people coming than ever, but giving is down. So you need to kind of watch your spending. We need to pull back on some of those, those provisional things. And it was encouraging and it was kind of discouraging at the same time. But what it made me do is I went to my checkbook and kind of, hey, how are we doing? And I realized, man, I, our giving's not where it should be. So you're starting to, okay, I need to jump in here. And I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that it takes sacrifice from all of us. The next few weeks, you're going to feel some tension as we're going to call you. Hey, everybody, you've got to be all in. We need you to serve on campus on Sundays. We need you to serve out in the community. We need to be light and salt to the world. The follower of Jesus is founded by love, is forged by sacrifice. Look at this last verse, and we'll close with this. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. When Peter saw him, he asked the Lord, well, what about him? Sounds like a guy who's been renewed, huh? Yeah, well, what about him, Jesus? We know he's not perfect. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? Now listen, he says, Peter, you must follow me. You see, the follower of Jesus is not only founded in love and forged by sacrifice, the follower of Jesus is free to forgive. 
Now, you may say, well, where's forgiveness in that right there, John? You think about it. What Jesus is doing here with Peter is he's trying to help him forgive himself for his failure. Peter, Jesus is trying to help Peter to see him how Jesus sees him. And the lens with Jesus looks through is it's all Jesus's blood. And if you are a follower of Christ, that's how Jesus sees you. And you're like, wait a minute, John, you don't know I, I, I did this. Covered. You don't know, I mean, I went through this, covered. And that's what I love about our church is we don't want you to serve. We don't want you to leave in spite of what you've done and what you've been through. We actually think Jesus uses those things to propel you to leadership. It makes you a great leader. You're not defined by your failure. You're not defined by the hurt that someone else put on you. You're not defined by that, that really difficult life circumstance, but you use those things to, to form you and to inform you. You look at that scar and you go, man, that's still there. But I love Jesus. I'll follow Jesus. You see, the, what the enemy wants, the enemy wants us to not follow Jesus. The enemy wants that, that failure that you went through, that hard time, he wants to just come back over and over. But you need to deal with it in a healthy way. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery. It's why we have the prayer room. It's why we have church so we can come together and worship him. The follower of Jesus is free to forgive both self and others. Hey, as we go into our time of worship, I just want you to process that. I want you to think about where am I in this process of following Jesus? Is there something I need to give up? Is there somewhere I need to sacrifice? Maybe I'm holding on too tight to my time, or maybe I've got a talent I need to serve with, or maybe I need to let go of some of my money. The follower of Jesus is founded in love, is forged by sacrifice, and is free to forgive both self and others. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're so grateful that you are moving in our midst. We're so grateful for John chapter 21. Lord, and just this example of you addressing this hard situation with Peter, but also you reinstating him to leadership among the disciples. Lord, we're glad that you don't hold our sin, our confessed sin against us. Your word says that all we have to do is confess our sin to you and you who are faithful and just will forgive us from our sin and, and cleanse us cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, would you bring any unconfessed sin to mind? Would you help us just to confess it to you in the quietness of our heart, just between us and you, Lord? And then would you help us to respond in a time of worship? As we worship, I encourage you to make this familiar song your prayer. Oh, to Jesus I surrender, all oh, to Him I freely give, and I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. I surrender 
Exhausted, grieving, trying to forget the trauma of the crucifixion by doing something familiar and concrete, fishing. The past few weeks, the last three years, what did it all mean? I had so many questions and unspoken, unseen tears of sorrow. That morning was still dark. Tiny bits of light peeked over the hill on that side of the lake. Come and have breakfast, he said. So casual and familiar, felt normal, like no time had passed. Again, the divine sharing a meal with me. The longer I sat with him eating, the more the light in the sky grew. It was chilly, but the sun would soon warm the dew off the marshy grass and the wet sand would dry to dust and slide across the shoreline the way it did every day. Being with Jesus that morning was both sweet and sad for me. But he was as he always was, holy trustworthy, providing, and loving. We sat in contentment as the sea lazily lapped up against the shore, and he spoke to me. I wouldn't realize his meaning until later. He was forgiving me, resurrecting me, with three questions. Do you love me? For three denials. I did not perceive in my human density, I was physically sleepy from a satisfying meal after working all night. I wish I had been able to see with spiritual sight, with the post-Pentecost spirit and fire but I was still dim that morning, like the early dawn, 
taking its time to melt away the shadows of night and deep water darkness of the sea. Follow me. Those words were both haunting me and drawing me into a future I could not see, a path I would not have known. But he was already there, seeing the end from the beginning. My spirit was willing to do anything. He said, follow me. You know, it begs the question, how'd Peter do? How'd he finish? If you read the book of Acts, actually the first 12 chapters of Acts, that'd be a great thing to do this week. You will see a man on fire for God. He goes from being confronted in front of a fire, or actually denying Jesus in front of a fire, being confronted in front of another fire, to being a man on fire. It's incredible. In Acts chapter 2, he's the one that that preaches the sermon where 3,000 people come to know the Lord. They're under such a conviction by the Holy Spirit. And I think it's in the next chapter, he he heals a a lame beggar. And and then he preaches Jesus before the Sanhedrin, the, the very people who hate him. And then it goes on and on. He's beaten. He's arrested. He's just following Jesus. And you think about, okay, what's different from the Peter in the book of John to the Peter in the book of Acts? One, he had Jesus' blessing again. He also had the Holy Spirit. We have Jesus' blessing, and we have the Holy Spirit. Do you need to have that fire pit moment with Jesus? Is there something that you need to visit with him about? We hope you will do that this week. Matter of fact, we got the opportunity for you to do that in the prayer room today if you'd like. I'll invite Scott and Cindy Thompson to go ahead and come up here. They're going to close our service. I'll just say that. Have that moment this week. Fellowship, it's our desire for you to be followers of Jesus who are on fire for him because of the Holy Spirit living in you. Hey, y'all. I'm Scott. This is Cindy. Gonna be hanging out in the 
in the prayer room this morning. Um, we do that uh, as part of the prayer team because God honors unified intercessory prayer. He promised us that. He proved it time and again in Scripture. Um, some of the folks we pray with are coming to celebrate and coming out of gratitude. Some of the folks that we pray with have a deep, heartfelt need, and we're honored to join them in lifting those up before the Lord. Some of the most meaningful times of prayer for me have been those moments when Jesus has reminded through whatever means a lake or a fire or a meal or whatever it was for them that your story's not over and you still have a mission and in that moment they confessed and they were restored those are wonderful wonderful prayers to join in so if you have any of those needs come back and see us we'll be right around the corner let's pray together Father God we love you we bow our hearts and we bow our heads before you today confessing our need for you and thanking you for being a gentle father who reminds us that you're not done with us yet and we're not defined by our failures. We're defined by the blood of Christ that covers us and makes us your sons and daughters. Help us to reflect that each and every day, Lord. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week.